0: Gamer Stories, a podcast digging for the answer of what makes a gamer, one interview at a time. I'm your host, Zero Ping, and with me is Joe, also known as Scope. Joe, welcome to the podcast. What's going on? (laughs) So, one new item that's been in the news recently has been uh, some closing of some of the GameStop stores. I wanted to kind of bring up a little bit of the history, and one of the reasons that I'm inviting you to this podcast is because uh, I know that you have a little bit of history with both EB Games and uh, with GameStop. What years were you kind of with them?
1: Oh man, you had to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would have been the time where GameCube and PlayStation 2 and Xbox were the forefront of the systems. Oh, yeah, yeah, So that wouldn't make it easier to date it.
0: Yeah, sixth generation of consoles. That would have been like 2000, 2001.
1: Game Quest was still open. Game Quest.
0: Was that a local thing?
1: That was a local store that we had here, and it was located actually next to Toys R Us over there. Oh, I do remember that,
0: yeah. Do you remember what the original name of that place was? I know it was something before that. Yeah, I know you're not originally from Ohio.
1: no. For me, it was it was just GameQuest. I don't know what they called it before.
0: Yeah, it might have been something like that.
1: But EB Games actually purchased GameQuest, and then okay. that's why EB Games started becoming EB Games around here.
0: Yeah, let's get into that history a little bit. So, GameStop basically is a a culmination of a bunch of different stores, which over time has kind of distilled down into one company, essentially. It started in 1977 with Electronics Boutique. EB Games actually was founded under the Electronics Boutique name, in which they sold calculators and watches back in the late 70s, before they got into the 2600 and some of the other 8-bit consoles at the time. Then in 84... Uh, another company called Babbage's uh, was incorporated. I think it was 83. company was actually uh, started. It was named after Charles Babbage. It was started in Dallas, Texas. Became incorporated in 84. And they went public in 88. After that, uh, there's a, another company, Software Etc. Mm-hmm. Do you remember them?
1: I remember very well. Software Etc. was my store.
0: Yeah, it was for us, too. We had one in the... Uh, in the well in the shitty mall near us actually
1: we had one in our in our mall uh, parkway plaza in, in san diego and we used to go there quite a bit actually
0: yeah i was always excited because uh we really didn't have uh like you guys had like fries and on all that stuff out there but
1: well fries came way later I mean, I'm living in Ohio now, and we didn't have fries when I lived there, so. Oh, okay. We had um, The Good Guys. That was a store in San Diego that we had, and... Oh, never even heard of that. Well, The Good Guys focused on high-end televisions, sound systems, home theater equipment. It's so right around the time uh, DVDs were still uh, digital video discs, I believe is what they called them, and oh, those things were yeah. sold all all over the places before DVDs started becoming in the forefront. Oh, VCDs. VCDs that's it yeah video
0: compact uh, yeah for those that don't know that's where a movie would be compressed and then put onto regular cds cds held uh nine times less than a uh, actual dvd you would end up with like two to three cds for a regular movie and the quality would usually be just a little bit under vhs Right. So, not not so not so hot of a product. <laughs> no.
1: But it was played on all the machines, the computers they were trying to sell. People were all about all the real high compressed video that looked like garbage, but Hey, back then it looked good, right? Yeah, that was
0: the MPEG-1 codec.
1: It was really, really bad. Yeah, they had,
0: I think, uh, 32X and the Philips CDI and even the Sega Saturn all had decoder boards that you would plug into the actual consoles. Correct. And that would actually enable that sort of uh, playback. We used to have a store here called uh, Circuit City.
1: Yep, we had those too. Uh,
0: they worked off a of commission and stuff, so they were, they were kind of like, you know, you couldn't move five steps without someone hounding you a little bit (laughs) but they uh would have kiosks set up essentially for like the cdi and for the 32x and on one of the demo discs i remember they had an episode of batman the animated series and they also had on the same disc a trailer for silence of the lambs (laughs) and i remember watching those yeah what a combo, right?
1: <laughs> the uh, Science of the Lambs. I remember the video CDs were playing. Um, what The Rock? That was like a real popular movie that they had on those things, and yeah, and they were trying to sell them. All those Circus Cities and Good Guys. That, that was our main places to get electronics, uh, where those were those stores before Fry's came along and blew everyone away. But going
0: back to the storyline here, or or the uh, history. So Software CEDRO when they were originally founded was actually in 1984 and they were owned by b dalton which was a bookseller mm-hmm. you can think of those of like a uh, barnes and noble or something of that nature and it was a software division that was spun off from the b dalton company later in 1988 uh there was another company that was founded called funko inc uh which became funko land mm-hmm. and then eb games themselves started expanding At that point, they expanded into Canada in 93. And in 97, they expanded to Australia. So they started kind of getting a little bit of a global reach on. And in 1994, Babbage's and Software Etc. merged. They became a company called Northstar Retail Group. And from 94 to 96, that company remained basically a holding company. Uh, That's where like, companies can merge and and uh, basically be sold off as an asset or or spun off into something else but they got turned into babbages etc and i think our software etc that was here in the mall turned into a babbages etc for a little bit that was actually in 96
1: when i moved here i do remember the the mall still had a software etc in it and oh there, did it and okay. there was a funko land and right down below, in the little uh, shopping plaza down there.
0: Yeah, I remember that.
1: Then there was also the game quest that was there, and that Funko Land was the first kind I have ever seen Funko Land because Funko Land wasn't something in in California. We had a lot more software, et ceteras, and babbages then we did yeah. Funko Lands but once I went into Funko Land and realized what it was I mean it was very much the same kind of atmosphere and them trying to sell you things and, uh it was a, it was a good game store
0: Yeah the one cool thing about Funko Land especially that one that I remember they still had nes games at that point in time
1: yes there was a lot more console games at, at the funko yes yeah. and the uh, babbages that i seen yeah and you could
0: pick up uh used nes games for like 99 cents to like two dollars and 99 for uncommon ones <laughs> so man times have changed
1: until the internet happened and things have definitely changed yeah. but they did have them cheap until they realized what they were selling I remember going into a software, et cetera, in California and finding a copy of Fantasy Star 4 oh. for the Genesis. And it was the first time I seen a Genesis game going for close to, a, it was a hundred bucks. Yeah. And that, for me, was a lot. I wasn't a little kid. I didn't have $100, so that was, like, a ridiculous amount of money for a video game.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: But all all the stores and the malls, because these were all located in malls, for me at least, were, they had a little higher prices because of the mall prices as well.
0: Yeah, a little bit of overhead from the, from the actual location itself.
1: Uh, Donkey Kong Country uh, came out, and I remember me and my friends were all about it. And I didn't have a Super Nintendo, but we all pitched in a bunch of money, and and we when we got a copy of a $70 Donkey Kong Country. That was a really fun game, but it was it was crazy to see games being sold like that then. They just kind of had them out kind of like books on a bookshelf. They had a couple systems to test them out on, yeah. but they really were they never really tested them a lot because they weren't really allowed to do that then. But it was cool that they would sometimes break the rules a little bit and and actually let you test a game out before having to buy one because they were expensive back then.
0: Yeah, actually, I remember we had a store called the CD Game Exchange, which later just became the exchange, and that's where I picked up a lot of my used games at that time. I didn't have a ton of money, you know, kind of first job territory and i had to pitch in with a bunch of my friends we bought a sanyo uh, 3do also i had a friend pitch in and we both bought an atari jaguar wow yeah the jaguar was awesome uh i had to get that because of aliens versus predator okay. <laughs> obviously yeah <laughs> For those that don't know, I'm a huge Aliens fan. Both me and Joe are. So, yeah, so I had had to pick that up. I actually bought a Turbo Express, which was the portable version of the TurboGrafx-16.
1: TurboGrafx-16. Yep. That thing was awesome. They didn't make many of those. And
0: just to make collectors cry a little bit. So I bought the... Turbo Express it came with like four or five games, like TV sports hockey and a couple of other crap games, but but I did get a copy of uh, I think it was a uh, Hue card number 1 of uh, R-Type cuz it was like a two Hue card thing. I seem to recall playing R-Type on it and also playing uh Bonk's Adventure. Bonks Adventure maybe? Yep. The first <laughs> one. Yes. Yep. Not not revenge or uh whatever the third one was called. Uh I ended up buying Airzonk down the road for it. Uh, but anyhow I bought the the unit, those five games, and I did get a uh T V tuner with it. Eighty wow. bucks. So <laughs> Not something...
1: But now, were those used, or were they yeah, new? Yeah,
0: that was all used. That, that was the thing about the exchange, like, everything was pretty much used. Genesis right. games at the time were piling up, so they were selling those. They had, like, a 50-cent bin for Genesis games. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could pick, like, Vector Man and any of the Sonics just right out of the bin. They just had triplicates in particular title, and they would just chuck them in the bin. So that that was pretty nice. Good store. I I, I bought a lot of consoles there over uh, over time. I kind of wish I still had CD them. CD
1: game exchange, the exchange. I love those stores. Mm-hmm. And now that they are internet savvy and they have become more of a corporation more than anything now, not just a little mom and pop shop like they used to now be. Now you pay eBay prices. They follow their rules now. They don't sell stuff. The ice people get games early. Gets get music early. Mm-hmm. Can't get any of that anymore at those places. But the CD Game Exchange, I do remember it was in Kent. Mm-hmm. And I used to go there quite a bit. And I knew everyone that worked there. And they had really good deals on PS1 games, used PS1 games. <laughs> I was there all the time for those uh, in '64. But the, even then, they'd had games that they knew were more rare and harder to get and they had like a little shelf behind the counter. Yeah, but
0: it would be like an extra like $10 or an extra 15 No, it, yeah, they
1: they didn't charge a ton, but you go to the exchange now and that shiny copy of uh, Legend of Zelda for the NES is going for, you know, 100 bucks. Yeah. Especially if it comes to with- a, With a book, it might even go for more.
0: Yeah, if you get it CIB, I I mean, they're willing to really.
1: They'll sell the game for fifty bucks if if the label's falling off of it. We already know this from personal experience. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: One of those games, I forgot. You bought something from there, and it had the the label was ripped on it, and they still charge you a decent amount for it. I don't remember what game it was. Yeah, they
0: did. Uh, I don't remember anymore either, to be honest with you.
1: But it was a rare game
0: let me get back to the history real quick uh, so Barnes and Noble around 99 they ended up purchasing Babbage's etc and then in 2000 they purchased Funko so they now own Funko Land, basically Babbage's and uh, software etc at this point GameStop the actual company became a company in 2004 and that was essentially out of the ruins of all those other companies they just took all the little bits and parts and put it all together and that's what we had and uh, in 2005 Game stop actually ended up purchasing eevee games now i do know that in canada they kept the name eevee games even though it's owned by gamestop
1: i think they've been kind of getting rid of those but they're trying to phase most of those out to go straight gamestop for their brand
0: Yeah, in Europe, about a company called Games was kind of their version mm-hmm. of that kind of thing. And I do know that they've been changing those names to GameStop within the last couple of years.
1: Part of the reason why, one of the reasons why GameStop went after EB Games, not just because of their, their, their brick and mortar stores, they had a lot of different stores for EB, so they could get a lot more GameStops in there doing that. Mm. GameStop had a really archaic point of sale system, to the point where when I worked there, it was an old DOS-based system. And the math and everything, like if you did like a pre-order or something, you had remaining amount of money that you have to put into something. The system wouldn't allow you to finish the sale until you put that money somewhere. It's either gonna be cash back, it's gonna be something. But straight old, old DOS, archaic. Every GameStop employee that I when I'd worked there. Hated it. Now, when you worked at EB Games, EB Games' point-of-sale system was all current, modernized. It had a little bit of internet connectivity in some places. If they had it, it could keep track of all the customers, games before they come out, print out stuff for inventory purposes, stuff that the old archaic GameStop stuff just could not do.
0: My understanding is those stores run fairly lean. Mm -hmm. They they keep the hours down on the employees. They keep the amount of full-time employees down quite a bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, at first, it wasn't quite like that. Okay. It just depended on the store. Some stores are busier than others. Oh, uh, okay. Now, that doesn't really matter. They don't care how busy you are. They have to follow their labor just like any other business that has to watch their labor. The funny thing, by the way, is with GameStop now, when you go into their stores, if you look at their point-of-sale system, it's exactly what EB Games used to use. So they actually are... Modernized when it comes to that, and they took the original EB games architecture for their software and they put it all into the GameStop systems, and now it all is just like seamless, like everything. For them, runs exactly like how EB Games ran as far as a point of sale system. Not their rules, GameStop rules and EB Game rules. That's a whole nother story.
0: Actually, going into that a little bit, as I recall, at one point in time, like, weren't you able to or even encouraged to take home games, uh, try them out, so that you would be informed for the customers?
1: <laughs> With EB Games, the rules were basically, you know, you buy new games. If if it's a if it's a new game and there's enough copies of it still available for people to buy. There there ought to be a certain amount left of the game then you could actually, we would rent them basically from from the store. Okay. You write, write what game you have out or whatever thing you have out. And then just make sure it's returned within a certain amount of time. It was a free
0: rental system, essentially.
1: Oh yeah, it was free, but we still had to keep track of it. Right. And because the, the games we were borrowing were games that could be sold, would have to be sold at some point, either to the person, either renting the game like us, like the employees, or we'd have to sell it to a customer. Right, And that also went with PC games.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the crazy part. Like, PC games, uh, you know, you're you're tied down to a CD key. Later on, they got that whole draconian SecuROM uh, and a couple of other other tactics where like you had to be online or you only had five installs total in their yep. entire time of owning the product and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of interesting. Like, <laughs> go home, you've already got one chewed up, essentially one uh, use of the game or one install of the game. <laughs>
1: It probably, with there was a rule that the managers had for borrowing games as far as PC games are concerned. Mm -hmm. We weren't allowed to use the CD keys in there. We had to find other means. Oh, okay. Gotcha.
0: (laughs) You had had to borrow them from the internet.
1: We had to borrow them from the internet, (laughs) use whatever tactic to get whatever working in the LAN and usually the LAN would be held up by two hours because someone would have to go and install a bunch of these stupid keys in everyone's machine and it basically made landing a pain in the butt.
0: (laughs) EA, Joe no longer owns that copy of uh, Medal of Honor Allied Assault. (laughs) He was just borrowing it. It's gone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I purchased Medal of Honor Allied Assault the day it came out, but (laughs) yes. Um, It was Command and Conquer Generals I believe. Uh, EA would be the ones that they... uh, (laughs)
0: Uh, I plead the fifth
1: (laughs) which I will give Westwood when they were still Westwood Studios at the time, mm-hmm. a lot of credit for their copy protection because they have a sense of humor about it. Yeah,
0: that was awesome.
1: If it was not used correctly and you didn't install the game correctly, hey, the first minute of the match was fine until everyone just exploded for no reason. Yeah. And that was game you over. you build
0: about two or three units and then everyone would die and all the buildings would just blow up. You're like, what is going on? Who's taking me out? Hey,
1: one <laughs> form of copy protection that worked. Yeah, it did, it did. If you want to get into copy protection, we go into Out of This World, and you had the code key, the little key code wheels. Remember those? <laughs> I do remember those. Or the books in Wing Commander 2, where you had to look page 30, line 6. What is the first word on that line?
0: Sometimes people go on like Abandonia or My Abandonware. Mhm. That's one of the bummer about some of those games. They yes, they've been abandoned and they're available out there because I mean, nobody's claiming them. It's basically in the um creative commons in a way. You know, it's in the public domain. Mm-hmm. But uh, you go to play the game and you're like, well, shoot, now I need to track down a manual because I have no clue how to get past this. Which
1: you can find in our in our Wonder Web. There's enough of it out there. Yeah, too.
0: just one more extra little step.
1: <laughs> you just got to take that little extra step and... And the thing with the Banadonia, that's a whole another that's a whole another ball of wax that you're opening up there. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> Anyhow, let's go back to uh, you know GameStop. It's a great thing as far as you know. It's a good source of gaming and geek culture stuff. You know what I mean? It's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a it is a boutique store for us and our interests. With them closing some stores down, what what do you think about that? Like, what is what are your thoughts? Are are you happy? Are you sad?
1: I'm not surprised. I mean, look at the malls. Look at the malls around here. I mean, we've got... I used to go to Chapel Hill Mall all the time. And then now they just recently closed... I mean, they they closed the GameStop last... Or two years ago, I think it is now. And everything started closing. And it's because the internet. Everyone goes on Amazon. Everyone goes on whatever simple website they need to order their stuff they don't have to leave their house they can stay wherever they they can do it on their cell phones right you want that blu-ray bam you go to bestbuy.com order it you got it you go to amazon you order whatever you need it's there you actually have to drive your happy butts to the store if you want to actually go to them <laughs> yep. and people are starting to get lazy man it is it is it's just what it is yeah I think I really I think a lot of the issues with GameStop closing is the online retail. They're, they got a lot of competition. Yeah, but you also have GameStop.com, and what's interesting about GameStop.com is actually not run by the people that work in the stores. Like it's a totally separate entity from the actual brick and mortar stores.
0: It's just like they're corporate, right?
1: It's basically all corporate, um, and they don't work the same way as the stores as the stores actually do. The deals are different. I know lately I think they've been doing I know I don't think they do price matching. That maybe depends on the manager. They don't like doing that because the way the websites are different, the deals are different and what's in a store than what's in on the website. But a lot of people don't like that either. They want them to be either the same or something because it's like what yeah. When you, tell, when you tell a mother of a, a little kid that wants to buy some game and that game is one price on their website, but different in their store, but then they won't match the price. They're not happy about it. Yeah. And they'll take their business elsewhere. I could
0: definitely understand that. Well, and let's look at their general business model. You know, they, they'll they sell a game, just the base game itself, no season pass, everything else. We're looking at typically around six, $60 retail, right? Right. Then they usually want to sell you, upsell you on the season pass or the collector's edition, or they'll, uh, you know, always ask you if you want to protect your investment for, you know, two to $3 or whatever it is. Then you could come back a day later or a week later and they're offering you half that amount ish. Correct. And then they turn around and they'll usually sell that game back. At about five dollars under retail, you know that sixty dollars is now a fifty-five dollar game because it's used. Unless you have their card, Correct.
1: then you usually get a small percentage off of that, right? Yeah, you get the uh, it's ten percent. Okay. Off of uh, depending on what you're, bu- you know, how much stuff you're buying. Right. The card actually is a good value if you're buying more stuff at once. Yeah. Um, it usually pays usually pays for the tax, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's but there's also deals. One thing about GameStop that I that I've always liked is the employees that work there and so a lot of the managers are are pretty good about, you know, helping out the customer.
0: See, and I think that's something that we're kind of missing to be honest.
1: And there's also you you have the 7-day thing where I think if you buy a game, if you don't like the game for any reason, you can bring it back and they'll actually exchange it out for another is one. Is that still a thing? Yeah, they're still doing that. I, I think it's still a thing because they don't want to... They're, they're trying to keep their business afloat. I mean, it's it's a smart decision, but some people can take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people try, but most of the people that work there are pretty savvy and they and they know that you've already done it. They keep track of all this stuff. Everything's tracked now, so...
0: See, and that that's a thing. Like, I've been to GameStop. I've been going to GameStop for as long as there's been GameStops, right? Right. And in all that time, like, I have never really met an employee at GameStop I didn't like, except for one store. There was this one guy that was kind of just abrasive. But literally like I mean, they've they've always been like really good employees that are willing to give you help, that are willing to talk to you and and I think that Speaks a lot of the people that they hire, not not necessarily how they treat those people, mm-hmm. but but the people that they hire. I mean, gamers are just passionate people. They they like what they do, and they're more than willing to like step up and be like, oh my gosh, I, there's this game series called Mother, and I hope they do something with it, or you know what I mean. They're always willing to give you that kind of like fringe advice on things, and right. and I that's something that we're gonna miss out if we. If we do continue just buying all the online deals, you know, like picking up a brand new game on Amazon for forty-seven ninety-nine because you got a, mm-hmm. because you're a Prime member, I mean that's that's hard to compete with when you're a brick and mortar store and you have employees. You know, and right. Amazon's exactly. got a warehouse full of robots. I mean, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's literally what's hey, going on.
1: You get that you get that game could be sent to you from a drone. You never know. Yeah. Depending on where you are, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and
0: that's the thing. Like you, you do literally like get it delivered the day of uh, if you're a Prime member, mm-hmm. so you're not missing out on anything. In fact, you don't even have to drive to the store, right? So there's right. that. But it, it, you know, GameStop's not without sin themselves. Like they've done, they've no. done some crazy stuff. Um, I only grabbed a couple of examples here of just kind of some of the the controversial topics that they've done in the past you know back in 2005 when they purchased eb games they they ended up eliminating about 800 jobs at that point but i mean that's kind of expected of any sort of buyout when when a company purchases another company or even when they merge they're gonna have uh resources that are that are kind of the same but still kind of a mm. bummer to see that happen. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of EV Games employees at the time that weren't super happy about losing their job. In 2012, the GameStop corporate decided that uh, they needed more space in their stores, and they started throwing away old game cases, especially for games that, that were cartridges, uh, and they didn't have to worry mm. about protecting them as much. So a lot of the DS games at the time lost out. That was cries from all around the world from... Every single collector, oh, the collectors, man. yes. <laughs> so you
1: threw away that case? Yeah. How dare you? I
0: was actually kind of pissed myself because at, at the time I I was actually collecting DS games, and mm. I was pretty upset to see that happen.
1: They usually really will only keep games cases if they're in good condition, if they have the manual, especially, and depending on what the game is. Like if it's a bunch of copies of Madden for the DS, I don't really think. You know, they're going to throw those cases away. The issue really with them throwing the cases away, it's also a lot of employees actually that I knew weren't happy about that either because they're collectors themselves.
0: Right, right.
1: And the when you look at these stores, there's not a whole lot of room. And especially now with them buying um, ThinkGeek, Mm -hmm. now they've got just a bunch of stuff in there. You go in there, it looks like a toy store now. I mean, they got more toys and they do games sometimes in some of the places but these stores aren't big enough to hold as much stuff as they as they would like to actually have they do keep cases for games that are like a like a game that a collector would have maybe at the time they may not have but i believe now i mean i go in there. there's zelda cases and they're keep they keep that kind of stuff mario you're gonna have your mario karts and and all that kind of stuff
0: yeah that makes sense it's it's still just kind of a bummer <laughs>
1: Oh, it's definitely a bummer because people, I mean, pff, I know people that went behind into the, into the trash can and actually pulled old cases out. Yep. People dumpster dive GameStop a lot. You get posters and all sorts of things <laughs> that way.
0: Well, and one other sort of thing that they did back in 2013, they had the whole Xenoblade Chronicles controversy for the Wii. We talked about it briefly and, and you said you hadn't heard about it. So um, let me just get a quick description of what happened here. So, GameStop had actually negotiated an exclusive distribution in North America, meaning that essentially they decided to apply. They were able to kind of trim that supply back and drum up an artificial demand for this game. There weren't a lot of RPGs available out there, first of all, uh, for the Wii. This was a really well-received one over in Japan, and it wasn't going to get released here. So... By them negotiating those rights, they kind of took on a little bit of the onus or, or a little bit of the risk when releasing the game. But here's here's the issue. So they only released a, a small amount of those copies. When they received those copies in, they then ramped up the cost to $90. So you could buy the game used for $90 bucks or new for $60 on their website. But you couldn't actually buy a new copy of the game because they weren't releasing too many of them. So they essentially, like, created this sort of, like, demand and then ramped up the cost of the used games. And they got caught doing it. I mean, a a lot of people called Mm -hmm. them out, a lot of sites, uh, Kotaku and IGN, they definitely covered this story ad nauseum um, and really took them to the ringers i guess you could say with it uh but yeah that was that was uh pretty uh, crappy of them it was nice of them to take on the cost for getting that game to to actually even be released over here i appreciate that because it's actually a very good game i have a copy mm-hmm. of it myself but it the way that they did it was pretty shady i gotta admit
1: kind of i mean it's very nintendo practice i hate to say it but nintendo has been doing the driving that stuff down lately Especially with their uh, NES Mini, that's a good example. Right? Yeah, sort
0: of doing the same thing. To be honest, the only difference is Nintendo doesn't then take back those NES Minis on like you know used, and then right. and then charge you like basically an extra fifty percent of what the initial cost was.
1: Uh, well, yeah, that's definitely an issue. Yeah, with GameStop, I mean, so you have a sixty dollar game comes out, and you may go home. And you may beat that game in a night, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it, like a Resident Evil 7 or something. Something you can get through really quickly. Mm-hmm. And some people don't have a lot of money and they'll go, all right, I'm going to trade my game in. Right. When they trade it back in, they usually get about 30 maybe $35 for a for a new game, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's... To me, that's like, it's almost like a a slap in the face now that I know, like, I have a collection of games now. I I, I admit it. I used to trade stuff in. I used to trade my stuff in the game exchange and all the different places, and I realized how much money we actually are losing when we do that. Yeah, so did I and the popularity of the game matters for GameStop. So if it if it's something that's been out for a little bit, like say a copy of God of War 3. Brand new that game came out, it was 60 bucks, mm-hmm. right? Everyone played it and they loved it. Well, that value goes down really quickly. I mean, you're talking if it's been out for a couple weeks, now that game is no longer worth $30, $35 in trade. It's worth 20, maybe 25. And it just keeps getting lower and lower. Yeah. And it could be a really good game, but, I mean, GameStop doesn't care if it's a really good game. That They're still going to charge you what they're going to charge you or what they're going to give you back for it. What really is a slap in the face is when you see the price tag of, is the used copy price when they put it on the shelf. Yeah. That's the stab in the heart of all stabs. You're just like, oh. That's the one that hurts. Man. <laughs> you just sold me this game for 60 bucks. And you gave me thirty and trade, and then you go and you put the same game on the shelf for fifty five dollars. Yep, fifty four ninety nine. And it gets worse is when you want cash back, because then the cash comes off of that trade trade in value. I believe it's uh, f- ten, it's fifteen percent off off the trade or something. So you really are losing even more money if you want cash. So you you bring in that brand new copy of Resident Evil Seven, and they they offer you $30, $35 trade but then cash is like 20 20 24 depending on what it is
0: it makes good business sense i understand why they do that i mean they don't mm-hmm. they don't know how long that's gonna sit on the shelf and how much the value of that is gonna depreciate
1: mm-hmm. what's interesting too gamestop makes all their money off of their used items they don't make anything off of the new games nothing right so that's why they have all those used systems, and they always offer you the used one first. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a new game, they'll be like, "Oh, we got a used copy of this. Uh, it'll, it'll be fifty. You know, it'll be five dollars less off with your card." And blah 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 blah. They give you their spiel. But really, you're buying a a new game that's used, but they're making more money off of you that way.
0: Yeah, that is it's a it's a sad reality, but uh, <laughs> it is kind of painful. and that's another
1: thing that that actually hurts the company it, with GameStop is a lot of customers don't want to buy used products; right. they want to buy new products. Nor you know and you start looking at the store closures and you're looking at all that with online retailing and. A lot of this is probably part of it.
0: And sometimes they only have that, like, new copy that's open, and that's mm. kind of shady, too.
1: That used copy thing, it's basically like a new used game. I yeah. Mean, some some employee hopefully didn't put his gr- grimy mitts on it, but half the time they put their thumb on it or, or they just don't. Right. They might be careless about how they do it. They slap on one of those stickers telling you it's new. Yeah. When it's not really new, you're just putting a sticker on my now my box to that I now have to use whatever material <laughs> chemical to get the stickiness off of it. Right, and
0: you're and you're charging me like five bucks or whatever it is like over the used cost when it's clearly open. It's not new. I've I've right. had that argument before <laughs> with a couple of GameStop employees, but. I understand they got to do what they got to do, but it, that's kind of a shady thing, too, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. The other thing, which uh, it's kind of good that this became um, public, I think, because I think it'll make life a little bit easier on the GameStop employees that are there. Mm-hmm. This year, a, a lot of reports have come out on the Circle of Life program. Are you familiar with this?
1: It's their life system. They kind of had it when I worked there, and they basically... If you didn't sell your game informers or you upselled your game informers, everyone had to sell a certain amount of game informers. You mm-hmm. had to do it. Basically, every customer that came up, not only did you have to upsell a game informer, but you also had to upsell the gift, the, you know, the card, their their mm-hmm. used card because it's a club. And if the quota was not met for your store, the manager would get on your case about it. You're still struggling as the rep trying to do that stuff you're going to get canned pretty quickly because GameStop won't keep you along that because they don't think you're doing your job. Right. You're not making the money. They made money off the game Informer former subscriptions. They make the money off of the used cards and used businesses there. That's their, that's their game is use, use trade-ins, use sales. They love all that stuff. Yeah.
0: That's literally where they make all their money. So the, the unfortunate part of that though, is because they put so much emphasis on that, If someone comes in and buys a brand new game or a new game is released and a lot of people buy that game, it actually counts against the store for how many Mm -hmm. new copies that they sell of that game. So much so that some employees got to the point where they were basically lying Straight face to the customers saying, sorry, we don't have that new, but we do have a used copy if you'd like the used copy when they definitely had brand new copies sitting in the back. And then I'm sure they lost some sales because of that Mm -hmm. and possibly a little bit of goodwill with customers, you know, like, oh, every time I go to this GameStop, I can never get the new game. But I'll go to Walmart right behind it and they have it. You know what I mean? Why is that? Right. You're a game company. Why 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 do you not have games? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um mm-hmm. so I, I really hope that they de emphasize those items or at least find a different way to incentivize their employees, uh, without without being so stressful or being so harmful to them there's there's got to be a better way of handling that and again um luckily you know you know the jim sterlings and the and the katakus and uh the polygons of the world have uh done a really good job of of bringing all this information up and bring it into the public eye and and um really covering this topic so I, i'm glad that happened but um mm-hmm. i don't know what, what what are your thoughts on it like did you feel that pressure
1: Oh yeah, there was always pressure, but it was nice to, because my stores were always busy. I, I mean, I'm by the mall. That, those places were jamming all the time. Fly and tell there was much different than you would you would think. A lot more sports games, a lot more Maddens being sold. I remember that. When it came to the business aspect of it, we were, we were watched. Our DM was watching us like a hawk. I mean, it, they made sure that we were getting our pre-orders for games. That's one thing they still will always track. They, they want to make sure everyone's upselling whatever game coming out um game informers are still huge and, and uh, harked upon and every time we go to GameStop now especially but you know by our work we've got people that we know that work there and every single time i buy something they want me to take a survey but that survey i think is another way for them to do the circle of life thing without getting it all people you know losing their jobs because they're n- they're not doing hard enough work
0: so they're really pushing it
1: Oh yeah, they're pushing it. I get pushed all the time. I mean, hey, I need you to take the survey. Well, I'm like, all right. But when I take that survey, it asks for their it asks for their employee number, the store that they work at, mm-hmm. and it's all it's all uh, numbered. And they they it looks good on them when, when we do the survey. But it it's like, what happens if these people aren't doing the surveys? Are these people getting in trouble? I mean, I don't know. Um and. I have a feeling, though, it's some—it's it's kind of a shady business practice that they're doing to see, you know, if people are taking the surveys, are people doing their jobs correctly? And they can look at the survey and they can tell if someone's being honest or if, if a customer's not happy with that employee, what if, you know, what if they're not happy on that survey? Well, now someone's talked to about how they're doing their work.
0: Yeah, that makes sense
1: you didn't offer the $2 game protection thing in case it gets scratched or you know the little warranty thing cuz i know they track that warranty thing and i never buy it but people do
0: yeah i never buy that myself
1: it's just a bunch of frivolous stuff it's like
0: it might make sense to someone who who's concerned about you know keeping their game pristine or whatever, or someone right. who, would, you know, doesn't put the disc back in the...
1: Well, I mean, do you remember the days when they uh, they would actually resurface the disc for you for like five bucks? You... I do remember that. Basically buff out your disc to the point where there was no disc left?
0: Like the I... disc doctor. I do remember that. The disc
1: doctor <laughs> put some like rubbing alcohol or whatever weird chemical on your disc, and then you'd buff it out and it would like put this awful film on the back of it and just it'd make your disc look worse than it than it should (laughs) yeah it would work but (laughs) didn't look so great it would work sometimes it did not work all the time yeah it didn't buff out every single i mean depending on how bad the scratch was it gouges there's nothing it could do with the exactly
0: there's a difference between scratches and gouges so (laughs) I guess the other thing that uh i kind of wanted to ask just to kind of get to know you a little bit better here so that you know the audience gets to hear you so here we go okay. number one what was one game that really had you hooked like what was the game for you
1: i was actually working at blockbuster video and when i worked at blockbuster that's what gave me my uh we used to get con we could take our consoles home so i could take home like a like a PlayStation 1, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dad didn't buy me consoles that often. I had, like, a Genesis. And I remember for the first time seeing Final Fantasy VII, I was like, I need to have this. I mean, it was, like, the first 3D role-playing game. It was, like, epic. The, the scope of the game it was three discs. People were just... It was everything anyone could talk about. Every, every magazine. Mm-hmm. GamePro magazine, EGM... They were all just like, oh, you have to play this game. But I didn't have the money. So I would bring the PlayStation home and from, from Blockbuster, and we never really had any issues. And I started playing Final Fantasy. And I realized I must have this game. I couldn't stop playing it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. The story, the just everything about it was just mind-blowing to me. I finally saved up enough money and working at Blockbuster. I told my dad what I was going to do, and he didn't seem to care. So I bought my first PlayStation 1 with Final Fantasy 7 and a copy of Soul Blade which would have been Soul Edge, I believe, in the arcades. Yes. uh, The fighting game. Mm -hmm. And those are the only games that I had for a while. But I played Final Fantasy to the point where, I mean, I couldn't do anything else. Pretty much consumed me. All my friends, we used to talk about it all the time. I used to ditch high school. Yes, I ditched (laughs) school a few times to play Final Fantasy.
0: Final Fantasy might have been worth that.
1: (laughs) Ah, uh, <laughs> it wasn't worth the punishment I got from my dad, but, you know, it taught me to probably not ditch school, but, hey, I did it, and what was I doing? I was playing Final Fantasy. I played all night. I, I didn't sleep. I remember I didn't sleep for almost, like, entire week playing it so there you go there's the game that hooked me that's
0: a good answer what was the first game that you beat on your own
1: first game I beat on my own would have been Super Mario 2 on the NES nice good game it was very hard yeah. I died many times I many continues I did really well in Super Mario 2 until the I- the Ice Worlds mm-hmm. and just the final level in that game was just annoying and you gotta remember Super Mario 2 is more of a Doki Doki Panic. Style game, so it wasn't right. like your traditional Mario that we were used to. Yes, you actually had to like pick people up, there was like a dream world, and things were just different. Mm-hmm. the potions were really cool. You're trying to figure out like where to use them, where the warp zone areas were. But yes, yeah, Super Mario 2 would have been my first game. My, I have to bring this up because my dad, who never really was a huge gamer, mm-hmm. he bought me Contra. And him and I, we had a Nintendo Power subscription, of course. And I had, I had the code for the 30 lives. And yes, my dad actually sat with me and the only game my dad ever beat with me was Contra. Nice. So that's something that I have to as a shout out because even he was having fun now he plays games believe it or not
0: that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> another question here what is your favorite thing about geek culture
1: about geek culture
0: mm-hmm. could be about games it could be about
1: movies i think what's cool about geek culture is it could be like old tabletop games you could be a geek you got your your nerdiness when it comes to playing video games in general or you've got mm-hmm. card RPG game, you know, card games, like Magic. There's a culture there. I went to Sheets the other day, the one right behind me. There were dudes at a table, and I knew what they were doing, and they were playing Magic. I mean, I went over there, and I even started talking to them, and we were just rapping about <laughs> stuff. There's a culture there when you have people that they can, you can all relate to something, and it, it keeps you, you know, it kept me out of trouble. I played Magic growing up, and it kept me out of trouble. I wasn't doing stupid stuff that little kids like to do. I was always at someone's house being a nerd, playing either a video game, playing Dungeons and Dragons, playing Magic the Gathering, and the culture there is so unique because people are either talking about that that campaign and that's all they talk about. Some guys may be talking about the video game that they're playing, or the t-shirt that he's wearing might be an actual video game shirt that I was like, oh my god, and he got it from Software, etc. Software, etc. used to sell game t-shirts. Mm-hmm. But they were like $40 if you wanted one. And then you got guys that are strictly, you know, they play Magic and that's all they play. But you learn things from everyone. Like, I learned a lot of things about when I played Dungeons & Dragons. Stuff I never, you know, would think about that I would use. Like, I, had my, my, my DM was a physics teacher, so... My physics teacher would throw in math he'd throw in math into a campaign just to do just to be a pain in the butt <laughs> i think the culture is everywhere and when you look at the gaming community now it's huge yeah like you've got esports now you've got tournaments it's almost like a sport now depending on what game it is you got guys sitting at their computers who went two million dollar prize pools for League of Legends. Mm-hmm. The gaming industry makes about as much money as as the motion picture industry, if not more, right?
0: They make more now. Pass them
1: up. You've got all these huge actors that they pay money for, and you would never think you're going to see, you know, Lance Reddick. He's in everything from Lost to Fringe, and he's in Destiny as, as a voice. Mm-hmm. You got Mads Mickelson, who's a phenomenal actor, and he's in Metal Gear, or, or not Metal Gear, the, the new Hideo... The Stranding. The Hideo Kojima game. He's not a gamer himself but he really respects what Hideo kojima's vision is and you know what he wants to do and gaming i mean it's
0: i agree i mean it it is everywhere it's definitely bloomed into like it's becoming less of a subculture and more of our culture i think
1: hey revenge of the nerds baby revenge of the nerds
0: (laughs) what is your favorite game one game of all time that's a hard one i know
1: My favorite game of all time would probably have to be Resident Evil, the first one from PlayStation 1. And the reason why I say it is because it was kind of like, I had a PC at the time. I mean, I'm a PC gamer at heart still, but I I used to play a game called Alone in the Dark. And Alone in the Dark was kind of... The graphics weren't there. You know, it was still an older technology. and But it had a really cool survival horror element to, to the game. And Resident Evil kind of brought that to the forefront, I think. I think Resident Evil brought the survival horror aspect of gaming to what we have now. Don't you remember when... The dogs jumped out of the window for the first time. I almost jumped out of my seat. I will never forget that day. Yeah, I think everyone does. (laughs) Or when the tarantula falls from the ceiling on top of you. There's so many different memorable moments that Resident Evil gave me. And after that, Silent Hill. I mean, Silent Hill is another game that is a phenomenal survival. I mean, it just keeps layering on of what Resident Evil started. And... Yeah. it plays a more psychological role.
0: I think that's what I like more about it. I think I think it is the psychological uh, aspect of the whole thing, you know what I mean, like the fact that it it messes with you a little bit. Not on the level of um Eternal Darkness, it's more of a, a slow burn where it kind of brings you into the world and all Eternal that Darkness stuff, even adds but... even
1: more to the element that Silicon Knights, what they did with that game, Eternal Darkness blew my mind for the first time playing it because it, it made me remember what I liked about Resident Evil 1, Silent Hill, like those games. It made me realize like, whoa. And the way it played with your mind with the psychological aspects of it, like the game just ending for no reason and there's credits going backwards or or
0: turning up the volume on your TV and we're looking for the remote.
1: <laughs> you should have like the top five favorite games because there's so many games that I could name that are so memorable to me.
0: I think that's the the difficult of giving you only one. I guess the last question, I do know that you're a console gamer and you're also a PC gamer So it's gonna be kind of a mixed question a little bit, or more of an inclusive question, I guess I should say. I'd like to know what's your favorite console of all time and you can include the PC as an option.
1: My favorite console of all time would have to be the PlayStation 1 because it's what basically introduced me so many games Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the PlayStation 1 that I could just bring memories of. of, I mean, Final Fantasy was a huge part of my life, but yeah, I definitely say the PlayStation as far as my console. I mean, I love my computer. Don't get me wrong, but consoles, PlayStation 1 all the way. Not a bad
0: answer. All right. Thank you very much for uh, being on the podcast. Uh, This is the inaugural uh, episode one of Gamer Stories. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for stopping by. Look for more to come. This has been Gamer Stories.